go into our uh, scripture reading for, for today's uh, message. And our scripture reading comes from Numbers chapter 13, verses 25 through 33. I'll be reading from the uh, ESV uh, version. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran in Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, and they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and, and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And he seemed, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the hearing and the reading of the word. Please be seated. Thank you, Paul. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is uh, Rick Zubika, Pastor Rick. Uh, I have the privilege of speaking to you to do t today. Um, like many times, Pastor David, normally we go through a book series and such, but Pastor David gave me free reign to talk about anything I wanted today. And sometimes that's even harder than just, okay, you're doing this passage, go for it. But to say, okay, do whatever you want makes it even more hard. And today, it's from something I'm learning and something I continue to learn and be reminded about. And it's, so for some of you, Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14. Uh, we're going through it through our Sunday school lesson, so if you're still not too late, there's still Sunday school. We're going through the, the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy, and we're looking at the Israelites and their travels and their wanderings, um, how God has been faithful to them, even if they are not faithful to God. I picked this passage because we are just like the Israelites as they are entering into the promised land. Uh, they, they leave Egypt. Uh, actually, they are were given freedom by God, by His grace. They didn't really deserve it. By His grace, He frees them from slavery, from Egypt. So we're giving, going a little bit background of the passage. A little bit about the, about, <clears throat> the passage. And just like them... Uh, as they escaped Egypt, us too, 
are given freedom from our sins through Jesus Christ. By His grace, we are set free, just like the slaves in Israel. So there's this, this constant parallel we see us and the Israelites. We see them sin time and time and time again. We shake our heads at them and say, Oh, man, you Israelites, why do you falter? Why do you fail? Why do you stumble and backslide, saying, I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to Egypt. This life you give me is, ho- is hard and horrible. And how, too, at the same time, we have freedom in Jesus Christ, how we continue to sin, knowing that we have Jesus, knowing we have eternal life, knowing we are saved from our sins because of God's work, Jesus Christ's work on the cross. Yet, we still stumble and we still fall. I picked this passage as just like the Israelites are on the cusp. So they're like standing on this mountain ridge and, and they're looking into the promised land and they're seeing the promised land before I'm like, okay, God promised us this that, let's go get it. But instead of believing in God's promises that that's what God wants for us, that they turned away and they were fearful and we know the end result of their faithlessness was that they were destroyed or they were they were killed off one killed off until the next generation were to come in so that's how we begin our story and before we begin let's let's pray father god as we enter in the new year we don't know what's in store for us we don't know what's going to happen but you do lord god there's many things in the future that, and we're thankful for the past, as we mentioned many times already this morning, that we're grateful for 2019, but for 2020, what will happen? And most of us go into the 2020 year with high hopes and great expectations. But so once we hit a snag or a hurdle or an obstacle, we have arguments with our family and our wives and our husbands, uh, there's a sickness that overcomes us or our families and causes us to grieve. We have difficult bosses that makes our life hard each and every day. We have broken relationships. We have broken friendships. We have, we have SAT and SAT classes. We have all these hurdles that we look to with great hopes. But when these things come in our way where we feel that we cannot do or handle we oftentimes backslide and say, I don't want to do it, or we hesitate, hesitate to commit. But Father God, we know that you are with us always. Emmanuel, as, we, as we've been uh, celebrating this past uh, Christmas time, help us to hold on to that hope, that faith we have in Jesus, that God, you are with us. Who can be against us? Give us confidence, give us faith, give us courage to tackle, because with you on our side, anything that might come in our way. Please lead us and guide us, O great shepherd. Thank you for this day. Thank you for those trials and temptations. Thank you for all these things so that we can persevere with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, so here we're in the story. So they're entering in the promised land. 
they're in Kadesh, so this area in Kadesh in this desert of Param, and they're looking, like I said, into the wilderness. And Moses sends them out and sends out 12 spies, and 12 is a particular number because there's 12 tribes, and he selects one, so there's no bias in it, so there's 12 tribes all representing, and they're going to go and send the 12 spies in. And this is a very familiar story for many of us, the sending of the 12 spies. And after a they come back. In verse 27, they said, then they gave us this account. They gave us that we went into the land to which they sent us. I'm, I'm reading from the, uh, the uh, NIV, just if you want to know. And it flows with milk and honey. Flows with milk and honey. Okay, so what I found out, this is called a idiomatic literary expression. An idiomatic literary expression. Milk, the land of filled with milk and honey. It's actually mentioned 20-odd times in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they've heard this before on many occasions. The reason it's idiomatic is because really the land does not have milk. Like they look at the water and it's like all milk and it's like, ooh, grade A milk. It's not pasteurized or anything. So it's not really that. And honey is like, like, all, like coming off the trees and things like that. Uh, no, but it actually, what, it's, what it refers to is that it's plentiful. The land is abundant. It's fertile. And when they say that, is that it's great for grazing. The land is uh, filled with milk. So imagine this green, green, green grass for their, for their cows to eat, to produce a lots of milk. So that's why it's, they refer to milk. Oh, that's something I want. That's something I desire. This is some, a place I want to go. And then, for example, the honey as well. Honey is like a delicacy. It's hard to do, and it's, it needs specific elements to make honey really good and this natural sweetener. So when they say it's a, it's a, oh, it's a land of sweetness, so what we say, when we say it's a land of milk and honey, it's somewhere where you want to go, somewhere you want to be. You want, it's somewhere where you want to live and be fruitful in. And that's something that they should desire. And they're like, yeah, I want it. For, for Amanda and I, uh, my wife Amanda, we think it's Hawaii. We love Hawaii. We love how it's cool and warm at the same time. It's just beautiful to see. And so would we live there? No, because all our family and friends are here. But if, who knows? God might call us there one day. So here we are. We, they're looking into uh, this account, and they say that... Uh, um, we went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. They give this account. It does. It's a confirmation of God's promises. In Exodus, God promises, I will give you this land, and I will lead you. I will guide you. I will give your, uh, I will give your enemies over to you, and you will defeat them. Go and take it. This is the first of many confirmations that we see. And shouldn't that give them confidence? Oh, yeah, it's exactly what God had said it to be. Here's the fruit. And it's not just the simple fruit, like a couple of grapes. Oh, here's a couple of grapes. The line is good. But no, I think when they brought it, they brought these large, boisterous, bountiful grapes and fruit for them to see. This is my picture. Here's the fruit. Here is evidence of it. So there's evidence to a promise fulfilled already. Why shouldn't they not believe the rest? But the people, and then there's the but here, but the people who live there are powerful. And in, in, in the ESV, they say they're strong. 
and the cities are fortified and very, very large. And then when we, they saw the descendants of Anak, they are gigantic people. Just imagine a whole area full with Shaquille O'Neal's and Yao Ming's and George Mirasan. Yeah, so for you older people, George Mirasan was a huge dude. Andre the Giant, or for you WWF people, Hulk Hogan people, uh, they're giants. And this made sense, and it brought me back to a memory of reading about these giant people. One day I was at a UCLA game. You go UCLA? I didn't go there. I went to Biola. But I went to a UCLA game, I think maybe with Vic or something like that. And from a distance in the nosebleed sections, far, far in the back, and it's, they look huge. When they run back and forth, they're gigantic people running back and forth. And it's really, truly amazing and scary. Until one day, I think, maybe Vic? I can't remember. Maybe Vic walked me down, and we were on things. And I, and I was watching them play. And next to me was this humongous person next to me. And it was this guy named Baron Davis. And Baron Davis, he played for UCLA. And uh, he's a point guard, so he's one of the smaller guys. And this guy was gigantic. He was like 6'3", three six, three in height. And he's massive and huge. And it, and it blew my mind away how actually big he was. And that was the first time I just was so immense. And I was scared. He wasn't going to beat me up. He wasn't doing anything. Just his size alone scared the heck out of me, right? And then, a few years later after that, when Shaquille O'Neal first came to the Los Angeles Lakers many years, years ago, I was able to uh, hang my hand over the railing to reach out as Shaquille O'Neal were to walk by and like give me a high five or hold my hand or give me a handshake or whatever. And his hand just overwhelmed my hand where I felt like a baby. That's how big was he. I'm like, oh man, he's going to crush my hand. But he was very smooth and very gentle. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad he couldn't shoot free throws. But in the same sense, he was humongous. And just the size alone brought fear to my heart. So I understand this particular part where they were so huge, they were so big, these descendants of Anak, right? And then one of the things that I thought about was I would be afraid too. I would be afraid too if, if I was to put in that position where God told me, and I saw with my very own eyes, and I... I, they were spies, so I'm sure they weren't seen, but hide the bushes and see from the distance how huge they were. It would probably put fear into my heart as well. So I'm not, I'm not blaming them. I'm not blaming these guys for being afraid. Because something, sometimes in our life, we'll come to occasions where things will happen in our life that are scary or difficult or hurtle. Uh, sometimes a promotion, even something so good as a promotion, into a position that you're not accustomed to or comfortable in. Or maybe you're put in a situation like one year when my father-in-law passed away, that there was a big decision in my life where my mother had to live by herself. My mother-in-law had to live by herself in a big house. And what it was the choice that I had to make? I knew the right choice. I didn't want that choice, but I knew it was right. And so what we did was we decided to live with my mother-in-law. And when I married Amanda, that wasn't my plan to move in with my mother-in-law. My plan was to move away from my parents, from her parents, and start life new together. 
But that I knew that was, a, that was a choice that I had to make that I knew was right for all our sakes. So I had to make it. And I was afraid of what will happen. I was afraid my concerns. But God is faithful. And he, he just brought joy into my life because of it. My son loves his papa. He loves her so much, even though they, they fight, they're like best friends. But I knew right away it was the best decision for us. But, my, but I was fearful of it, but it ended up being okay. So we have these, these giants. And the, the natural thing is, and we look in, in verse 30, Caleb silenced the people before, the, before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. I love Caleb's response. I would be fearful. But Caleb was faithful. He believed. He believed in God would help them. He believed God in his promises that he knew from Exodus, we know in Exodus 6, that God said, I will take you there. I will bring you there. I will fight for you. I am on your side. I promise you this. And he believed it. He wholeheartedly believed this promise. And he said, oh yeah, maybe we should plan more. Or maybe we should take a year to develop this idea first. No, Caleb was like, let's go. Let's go take this place. This is a place that God promised us, and I believe it. Let's go take it. I don't care about these giants. I don't care about these giants because my God is bigger than them. That's what he believed. It's important for us to believe the same thing, that our God, who we put our faith, our hope in, that is bigger than any sin we have, any brokenness we have, any difficulties and challenges that might come across us, God is faithful, and he will be with us, leading us and guiding us the whole way through. I love his response. Let's go do it. I believe. I believe. But then we have the response of the other ten. In verse 31 it says, But the men who had gone up with him and said, With fear, you could tell that they're afraid of these giants. We can't attack those people. My thinking is, why not? They are stronger than we are. So what? We have God. And then they spread among the Israelites because they wanted to, they, they were so afraid that they would make excuses and find reasons not to, to go into the promised land. And they, they, they encouraged the rest of the crowds, the Israelites, to turn away. The land we explore devours those who are living in it. All the people we saw are of great and gigantic and powerful size. We saw the Nephilim there, descendants of Anak from Nephilim. Uh, supposedly, one of the views is that they are fallen, the, the fallen angels mated with, with humans and developed these giants. That's one theory. And here we say, here we see, 
we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. This is their thinking, and we look the same to them. One, they don't think they know that we look the same to them. They're like super small. But we look like grasshoppers, like itty-bitty, tiny little insects to them. Could it be true? Yes. Could it not be true? Maybe. But we have a better, greater God than anything that they can throw at us. You, you see Caleb when he responded back in, in, thir- in verse 30. You know Caleb's response is this way. But you know what he, what he didn't do? He didn't say, hey, you know those ten spies? They're lying. He didn't say, no, the, the Jebusites, the Anak people, they're normal size. Their cities are normal. He didn't agree. He, he did not disagree with the ten spies. So in a, in, in a sense, it was true. They were massive. Their cities were fortified. It is true. And still, Caleb said what he said. They, they should take up possession now. Because God promised. Slide, please. Here's the spies. Could have done. The spies focused on the negative versus the positive. The people are strong. Yes, it's true. And it's going to be hard to read, but okay. Uh, the people are strong. What they could have thought instead of, this is the negative idea. They, they brought these negative facts. The people are strong. Perhaps, yeah, stronger than the Israelites, but God is stronger than them both. The cities are fortified. On the bright side, it could have been, hey, therefore, we, could, we, had, uh, we conquered the land. Someone else have done all the building for us, and we, could have, uh, we don't have to waste time of building them ourselves. The descendants of Anak, really tall people, big, tall, usually moving slower, less mobile. I'm sure we can do this. Therefore, adjust the plan accordingly, and no, hey, it's no problem because we have God on our side. Amalek, Hittite, Jebusite, Amorite, all the ites were there living there among them. But this is important in history, their history. God has already promised that he would wipe out them all because of their wickedness. In Exodus 3.17, the iniquity of the Amorite is now complete. They deserve to be punished. In Genesis 15.16, the Israelites just didn't realize that God was using them to carry out his judgment. These are some of the, the things they could have thought instead, but instead they chose to be fearful and run away. In Exodus, in, in Exodus 6, 6, and this is, this is something that they should have been reflecting upon, they should have been thinking about before they rebelled against God, against Moses, Joshua, and and Caleb. So therefore, in, verse, in Exodus chapter 6, 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I bring you out of the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you and an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. And this is, look at all the eyes in this passage. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall now know that I am the Lord your God, who you brought out, of, out from under the burdens of Egypt. 
I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for your possession. I am the Lord. Put a stamp on it. I am the Lord. Believe in it. This is something that should have been reflected upon and realized. Before, even after, before, during, and even after the report from the spies. We have God on our side. In Numbers 14, 8 and 9, this is a couple of verses down the next chapter. This is Joshua speaking. Joshua and <clears throat> Joshua and Caleb, Moses and Aaron are before the multitude, before the Israelites. And Moses and Aaron are like pleading. They're on their hands and knees, and they're begging the people who are very upset, who are very angry, and says, um, um, Moses and Aaron, why did you lead us to this place? We want to go back. We need a new leader. And they are complaining, and they're, they're about to write and complain. And here Aaron and Moses are pleading with them, please don't turn away from God. Please don't turn away from God. God is for us, not against us. He's on our side. Goodness gracious. And, and he's pleading with something that it should be super obvious. You know, after he led them out of Egypt, he helped them cross the Red Sea, this humongous miracle of spreading the Red Sea, right? They're hungry because there's no food. He brings manna from the sky. I want meat. He brings... You know, he brings quail by, by the truckload for them to eat. He hits the, he, he need, they need water. He smacks the, the rock and they give him water. He's been showing himself time and time again. Another thing that's really cool is that they had the tabernacle and they carried it as they journeyed across everywhere. And, ha, and it has God's presence in it. And this big tent, as they traveled around, they moved because the cloud led them. When it was at nighttime, a, spirit, a, a pillar of fire led him through the darkness. God is showing himself, showing off himself to them constantly, and still they disbelieve. We are, again, not too far from that ourselves, knowing what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Jo- and here Joshua pleads, and he's really serious when he pleads, and says this, he, he actually tears off his clothes to say, to signify how important what he has to say to the people. He, he tears his clothes off with anguish. If the, del- please, people, listen carefully. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel. And in some translations, this, un, this do not rebel means have faith. Because if you lack faith and unbelief, you are rebelling against the Lord. You are rebelling against the Lord when you have unbelief. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred to us. Like we can eat them alive type of metaphor. We can devour them. Their protection is removed, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. Do not fear. 
So he's asking for those two requirements. Do not rebel and do not fear. But do you know what they do instead in the next verse? Is that they try to stone them all. Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb. And because of it, the Lord came out and was very angry. And he told them that you people of this generation will not enter the promised land. And only Caleb and Joshua will because of their belief. Because they believed in God's promises, they were allowed to enter, them to enter the promised land. In the book of Deuteronomy, the next book of Deuteronomy, Moses speaks to the next generation as a reminder that they have that they should have known, and it reads this, Deuteronomy 31, 8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or dismayed. And then we'll see what happens. A good reminder for us, this is a, and, and this is a passage that I really like to go to whenever I'm feeling perhaps insurmountable odds, when I feel dismayed, when I feel fearful, I, I try to read this verse. Because I know what happens at the end. God has given us, and the idea that he is with us is consistently through the Bible. We know it in, in um, all through the Bible. He gives us many things. He does not leave us. For example, he gives us his son, Jesus Christ, who we look to as our example. He is our savior, our redeemer, he even intercedes for us even today that, that when Jesus went up into heaven after his resurrection, he doesn't just like chill out and kind of hang out there. He actually is pleading for our forgiveness to the Father even today, as well as being our great example, good shepherd. He has also given us um, his word. You know, the, his word is so great. He gave us a manual how to, a, a book, and a manual how to live our lives in order to please and glorify God, to tell us of who He is, who God is, and who we are, to remind us of, of who Jesus Christ is. And then He gives us the Holy Spirit who lives inside us, inside, inside all of us. And all this while the Father watches us closely from above, who knows every hair on our head, our every thought, and He has that great plan for us. My friends, this is a true statement of Emmanuel that we've been learning this past Christmas season, that God is with us, and we should be joyful and rejoice. It has an happy ending, though, uh, not for those people in the generations who try to stone um, Caleb and Joshua. In Joshua 21, 43, 45, there's a happy ending, which is really good. Thus the Lord gave Israel all the land that he swore to their fathers. They took possession of it. This is actually what happened. They took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them the rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them. They defeated every single person they came across. All the Jebusites, all the Ammonites, all the, Anak, the people of Anak, not one of them had, had any victories. 
in verse 45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. Not one promise. Every promise to that point came to pass. God fulfills his promises. And we should take confidence in that. He has never done it in the past, and we have to believe he never will. And finally, before I close with these very important things, I looked at this passage. It's in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. I know I'm reading a lot of verses, but I really particularly like this verse as my memory verse. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. This holding on idea, and many times, I like this word unswervingly. It only appears in the NIV. I like unswerving. Do you know what I do a lot? I swerve. I swerve a lot. God tells me to go here. God tells me to go there. And, and my wandering heart constantly swerves. And, and I know that God wants me to go here, but for some reason, because of my sinfulness, because of my fear and doubt, because of my anxieties, I swerve all over the place. But I believe God his word reminds us that where to go and our goal is God to glorify God to go to his people to disciple them to make to go to all the nations we know these things and, and for individual people he gives us our own callings but because of my fear I tend to swerve But then he tells us, how do I not swerve in verse 24? And, and, it, and, and it says it here, so it must be true. And let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more you see the day approaching. Here we talk about God's family and God's community. How do I hold on to the hope that I profess as a Christian, as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus, that the promise is faithful? It's by meeting together with you, by fellowshipping with you, by meeting together outside a church, by praying with you, by seeing your needs and praying with you and helping you meet those needs, praying with you by giving you, by sacrificing of myself, by serving. This is how I'm reminded God's faithfulness and promise. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're not in a community group, please take a chance. Commit to a community group. For those in community groups, I speak to you as well. If, if, if you're not serving, please serve. If you're not baptized yet, please consider going to the baptism membership class. If you are, have done all those above, if you're not discipling anybody, please disciple. There's something for us to do, to learn, to grow. So I have an application here. Before I end. 
please, just like Aaron, just like Moses, who pleaded with the Israelites, like, Josh, like Joshua and Caleb, please, don't make the mistake of making bad choices out of fear and unbelief, resulting in missed opportunities to bring glory to God. It was a choice that they made, the Israelites. They had a choice to make. Go into the land of Canaan. I'm going to make that choice. Regardless of the odds, I'm going to have faith in God, and I'm going to make that choice. Or, I'm going to make the choice. I want to go back to Egypt. I want to stone these people. I don't believe that God is that big. I don't think that God is that powerful. I don't think God will give me victory. And I chose that. Please do not make the mistake of making bad choices out of fear or unbelief, and sometimes we do that, resulting in missed opportunities. What opportunities? Opportunities to grow. Opportunities to give God glory. Opportunities to extend His kingdom to the, to the far, far corners of the earth by going on short-term missions, long-term missions, by being a pastor, by being an evangelist in your workplace. To, be, to evangelize and disciple people in your school, your classrooms, your, your, your classmates. Don't let fear and unbelief, like sometimes even for, like when I was doing high school, one of their fears is I don't want to reach out to my friend because I'm afraid of getting rejected. I don't want, I don't want to do that. Even myself, it's hard for me to to witness and evangelize to my parents or my friend or my, my relatives because it's weird. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. But God calls and asks me to do it. Don't let those things hinder God's calling for us. Second thing is to hold on to the promise of Jesus and trust in them with unswerving faith and confidence. I always love that passage in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we go through life without failure? Of course not. There will be ups and downs. But ultimately, God is victorious promise. You should believe in it. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for your, your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom that he gives. I pray, Father God, that as we accept you, as we put our faith in you and hope in you, and we call ourselves Christians, we call ourselves your, your disciples. We are surrounded with temptations and challenges. We are surrounded with a world who is against you, Lord. But I pray, Father God, that whatever comes our way, that we will not approach it with fear and worry, but with courage. We would face these things with courage, knowing that you are on our side. Attack those hurdles with confidence, knowing that you're victorious. Help us to 
believe in you. Please reassure us when we are doubtful. Lord, we do not know what will happen in 2020. There are so many opportunities in front of us. Help us not to miss out on them because of our fear. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being such a powerful, powerful Lord and Savior. Not even death can stand up against you. No sin, nothing. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for these things, and we pray these things in your mighty name. Amen.